Thanks, Dash. Thanks, man. Yeah, when, when Christian originally contacted me and he, he gave me the text and talked about family, I was like, man, I think he just picked the person who had the most kids and decided they had to talk about family. But I'll tell you, it's awesome to be back. I used to sit in the spot you're in not that long ago. Uh, I, I had the lovely honor of playing football under Coach Kurt Bennett. Uh, he's the reason I came to Sterling. And then I, I lived through some of the worst years of football of my life. Uh, just in case you're wondering, my last two and a half years, we were 0-24. <laughs> uh, that was, that was a, a really bonding experience. Christian and Luke and some of these guys I went to school with could tell you about how much fun that was. But I learned a lot about myself because I honestly really remember the first time I stepped foot on this campus, I showed up and I knew no one except for one guy that I'd met. He was my roommate. I'm like, great. I know one person. I'm going to live with him. This is going to be awesome. But I had no clue what was going on. I had no clue what I was going to do other than I'm, I'm going to play football. And I knew what I did on the field. But all of a sudden, I, I had that realization. You know, they talk about homesickness and all those things you struggle with as you're out away from your family. But I came to realize that I had a substitute family all around me in a lot of groups to the point where the guys I played ball with, uh, my children know some of them as uncles, uh, Uncle Ryan and Aunt Rachel. I mean, he was my roommate for three years. My kids know him and they love him. He was part of my family. He still is. Because when you sweat, bleed, and suffer with somebody, thanks, bro. That, that way I can get my hands back and do all the, the big gestures that they try to teach me not to do in seminary. But... It was that moment I found out I had another family. And as I moved on from there, it's been a beautiful thing to see people. Like this morning, I see Tad and Christina and some of the, the people who, they were kids in my ministry at various points in time. And it's like, man, that's awesome to see you guys grow, mature, and, and especially to be here. The other half is the fact that we don't sit inside the watermelon anymore. You know, it's kind of disappointing occasionally to not have the old red and green. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. But coming home is like that. There's familiar faces, familiar places, things you thought would never change that did. And as we do that and we go through life, there are so many things that we don't expect. Now, what we're going to look at this morning, if you have your Bible or your app, kick it open to Mark 3. We're going to be reading a little bit about family because... Jesus has a lot to say about family in this passage, and there's a lot that it speaks into our lives. So kick open Mark 3, 31. We're going to look at this. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, but uh, whatever floats your boat, NIV, NLT, you can go with the message, but you know, that's hard to track with me sometimes. Whatever works. But kick that open and let's read. So Mark 3, verse 31, it says, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he, that's Jesus, answered them, who are my mother and brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Let's pray real quick, y'all. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that you have for us. Pray this morning you'd open our ears to hear and that you would speak to us through your word. Show us more about what you meant when you called us into family and reveal the truth to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So this passage has a lot of stuff going on, right? We're going to put it in context first, because in Mark 3, there's a lot going on. First, Jesus calls his disciples. He pulls these 12 nobodies out of a crowd, and really, they were nobodies. Fishermen, tax collectors, they were people nobody wanted to be around. They were those kind of folks. They were the ones you didn't want to associate with, and he calls them out, and he says their job is to be with him to preach the gospel and to cast out demons in his name. That's some pretty powerful stuff, but it starts with being with them. He calls these disciples, then he goes out and he begins teaching in various places throughout Judea. And what we find out is the Pharisees say he's got a demon in him. And his family, in verse 21, they say that he's out of his mind, and so they're coming to get him. And so there's this point where we see family. And I, I imagine you'd probably love the idea of your mom or your, your siblings showing up and saying, hey, you're out of your mind. We need to get you out of there. I mean, that puts the fun in dysfunctional, right? That's where we are. That's where this passage sits. And Mark does that on purpose to show us something. Mary, she's the mother of Jesus. Some of the early church fathers said she goes to Jesus out of pride in her place. I don't believe that. She's a mom. I'm a parent. The, the fun part is my oldest son is turning 18 in January. And I'll tell you the fun part. He started working at Applebee's as a cook. And the joy of that is him closing. Because his mother, she's like, it, it's 1.30. He's not home. You have to go find him. I'm like, baby, I'm preaching in the morning. I don't, I don't want to get out of bed. And you have that choice to make. What are you going to do? If, if you're me, you, you certify that various things are true. And one of those that if your wife is happy, you're going to be happy. Let me tell you, that's a free piece of advice, guys. You can save that for later, put it in your pocket, pull it back out at some time, and be like, that, that, one, that one really fat guy told me that. And you can believe that. Because if you didn't notice the point, I did play line at Sterling. That was my job. I grunted and I sweated in the mud and I hit people every play which totally satisfied my desires. But when you move on into family, some of those traits don't work. Because Jesus, think about it for a minute. Here's Jesus, God of the universe, who has his mom coming to get him. He's an adult. He's out doing what he's supposed to do, and his mom shows up. It's, it's that moment you, you don't really want to acknowledge what's going on. But because of the culture back then, what happens? Jesus is up there teaching, and this message gets up front to him. Hey, Jesus, your mom and your brothers are outside. But it's not just that they're outside. Notice they're outside and they're seeking you. You, you need to stop what you're doing, Jesus, and go see your folks. That's a lovely message. That's what you want to hear, right? You're doing your thing, and all of a sudden, the kibosh is had because your parents are there. But that's not what Jesus does. There's a really powerful moment here, and you have to notice it. After he gets the message, Jesus asks the question, who are my family? I'm going to paraphrase because mother and brothers is the same thing. He says, who is my family? And then he does something specific. Mark says, then he looked around and everybody gathered around him. And he said, I tell you, these are my mothers and brothers and sisters who do the will of God. Now, one thing you have to understand culturally is you know who's going to be closest to Jesus at this point in time? It's going to be these 12 sweaty outcast guys who've never been accepted in their life who are sitting around his feet. 
They're sitting there because they're following Jesus. And so when Jesus does this, he takes a minute and he looks around at every single one of his disciples. And what does he say? He says, this is my family. Now, understand, Jesus is not anti-family. He's not the guy who's saying, this isn't my mama. I don't know her. Even if you tried to do that in high school, some of y'all were probably too cool for that. You came on a visit to Sterling, and you're like, I don't know my parents. Don't want to acknowledge them. That's what my son does, so I know some of y'all did it too. Jesus is not anti-family because on the cross, you know what he does? Jesus looks at John, and he says, this is your mother. He's taking care of his mama on the cross as he's dying. He's not anti-family. So what is he doing? Jesus is setting things up in a culturally radical way for all of his disciples. Because back in the day, family came first. And for many of us, it still does. But what Jesus is saying is that there's a different family than you know that has to take priority. And Jesus says family isn't just made up of blood relatives. Family is made up of people who are doing the will of his father. Now take a second to think about that moment if you were there. This message has come to the guy you came to see. You've heard about who he is. You've heard about what he's saying. You probably heard about what he's doing because a lot of people followed him just because of the miracles he performed. But you're sitting there. He's teaching and everything stops. Everything stops because they told him that his family wanted him. Now, the culture conditioned them to expect something. Culture expected them to stop for Jesus to leave and for that to be the end of the story. And I'll tell you, early on in my ministry career, I saw some of that. I used to work at Westbrook Baptist Church, which is now Cross Point, you know, down there, the, the campus over here. I worked there when we were still a tiny little church of 200 people, fresh out of Sterling, and I watched us grow to thousands. But the thing about it is, I was taught a great lesson by Andy. We were up, we're doing service, I led worship and was the youth pastor there. Middle of the sermon, Andy's preaching, and Nurma, the lady who ran our nursery, she comes in, and the way the sanctuary was set up back in the day, there's a door right here, led to the office wing, and as the worship guy, I'm up front sitting there, his wife Kathy's sitting just to the inside of that pew. Nurma grabs me and says, Matt, Nathan busted his head open and I think he needs to go to the hospital. Can you get Kathy? And I'm like, absolutely. So I slide across that pew, you know, all, all discreetly because that's how I roll. Nobody notices me move. I get over there, I'm like, Kathy, Nurma says Nathan busted his head open and needs to go to the hospital. Her answer is, oh, really? Okay. Just tell Andy to come meet us when he's done. And so I slide back across. Kathy walks out of the sanctuary. But Andy noticed the exchange going on because Kathy and Nurma leave. And you know what he did? He came over to me. He covered the mic like that so you couldn't hear as much. He said, Matt, what's up? And I'm like, well, Nurma said Nathan busted his head open and needs to go to the hospital. Might need staples. I, I don't know, man. But that's the way it is. And you'd see those gears turn for a second. Everybody's watching this exchange. You know, it's that joy of, I'm like, I'm, I'm glad I'm balding. Everybody can stare at that shiny spot in the back. But Andy sits there with that hand over his mic so nobody can hear. 
And he said something that terrified him. He said, Matt, can you do like two or three songs to close us out? And I'm like, what, what do you mean, man? It's, it, it is currently 11.15. Um, <laughs> you, you know we don't close until 12, Andy. He's like, yeah, but I got a chance to make the point in the sermon I'm preaching. And what he did is he pulled his mic back up and he said, so guys, I got the chance to make a point. God's given me an opportunity to live what I'm preaching. I just told you it comes God, family, everything else. I'm going to go to the hospital with my boy who busted his head open, and Matt's going to close us in worship. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, yes, I am. We're going to see what songs I remember in the key of G. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but he made a point about how important family was to him in that scale. Family came right underneath God. And I've said the same thing because I learned it that day. Not many guys are going to stop what they're doing, especially when we condition people to think that it shouldn't stop. That's where Jesus is, but he does things differently because he's making a point, and he also knows what his family is needing. His family's not there because of an accident. His family's there because of what they heard about him. Mary's worried about him. She thinks dude's going to get himself killed, and so she comes to stop him, and as she gets there, she tries to pull him out from teaching, and Jesus uses it to make a moment. Because this is a countercultural statement for them. Instead, he looked at everybody there and he said, You are my family. And then he defines what it means to live into his family. He says, We belong to that family if we're doing the will of God. Now, take note real quick that doesn't mean that what you do for God does anything except make you tired. Grace alone is the only way. Jesus isn't saying, If you do the work God's got for you, you're going to be part of my family. Grace enters into that, not what we do. As much as I'd love to tell you that I could work my way to heaven and be good enough, ain't going to happen, man. If you've tried, and when I was here, Dr. Johan Kim challenged us to check off each of those Ten Commandments every day. I got good at that. And he did that to see how long we would last and how close we would get to the truth before he said anything to us. Because that was the point in my upperclassman career where I had choices to make. Like in the religion and philosophy department back in the day, if you were upperclassmen and you had to take that elective, you had to choose between Jesus and John Calvin. Literally, two classes that were offered. Nothing says fun like that moment. What am I going to take at 1050? Well, there's Jesus or there's John Calvin. I, I just don't know. But he asked us to take those check marks and to see how much it had actually changed our behavior. Because I'll tell you, I was good at checking off those sheets. I didn't murder nobody. I didn't commit adultery. Man, I was, I was shooting pretty good at first. But then as the point began to sink in that it wasn't about what I was doing, but it was about what God was doing in me, that I had a realization. Because the thing is, Jesus is telling us that family status isn't dependent on our physical looks. Because you'll hear that. You'll hear people say, you know, if they look at you, they're like, oh, you've got your mama's eyes or whatever it is. Have you heard that? I heard that. There were a bunch of people who compared my face to my mom, and I thought that was kind of insulting. I'm like, no, I don't look like my mama. What are you talking about? She's a woman. I'm not. So I had to grow the facial hair so you couldn't tell. It's the real truth. But our physical looks, our DNA, anything about us isn't dependent when it comes to the family of God. In fact, as my, my favorite group lives into, they're called Care Portal. 
It's about taking the church, connecting us in our differences to make a difference. The way it works, they shoot out a need. Say somebody needs bunk beds. They just got a couple foster kids. In Barton County, the need pops up among 15 of the churches who we work together. And what do we do? We look at that and I say, you know, I don't really agree with some of the things that First Christian Church might be doing. I don't even really agree with some of the stuff the Methodist Church is doing. And they really hate some of the things I'm doing at Heartland. But you know what we do? We drop that because we know there's one name that unites us all, and that's Jesus. And so what do we do? My church pitches in 100 bucks. The Methodists pitch in 250. All of a sudden, there's bunk beds going into this house that wouldn't have them, and those kids have a place to sleep. Because it's the church meeting needs as the family of God, not as a church. Now, as you look at that, that tells us who the family of God is. It's people called by Jesus' name who work together for the kingdom of God. Doesn't matter what the sign outside the church says. Race, political affiliation, ideology, gender, socioeconomic status, all that's thrown by the wayside. My favorite reformed theologian, Lecrae, said, your life ain't wrapped up in what you drive, the clothes you wear, the job you work, the color of your skin. No, you're a Christian first. And that's the truth. If we're part of the family of God, Jesus said, dude, looks don't matter. Your DNA doesn't matter. It's who you follow. It's who you are that really defines it. And those are the questions you got to think about. Because for some of us, it's hard. Our families are busted up and ugly. The idea of a family doesn't sound very appealing to us. But the thing is, family means who we are. And when Jesus calls us, he says that we are part of his family. We're called together and we're in this together. We're not alone. So my question is this, where do your priorities sit? Is God at the top of the list with the family he's giving you? Because you know what? Scripture tells us that God adopts us into his family. He calls us sons and daughters. And that's a huge deal. So where does he sit on your priority list? Because if he is at the top, what are you doing with the family he's put you in to bring the kingdom of God as we sang? Bring your kingdom here. What, what does that mean? It means living, as Jesus just said, doing the work of God the Father. And the work he's asked for is John 6. Jesus, in one of those simple moments, he says, what does the work God asks you to do? To believe in the one he sent. I like that. I can do that. But he goes on and he has other things to say about the work we're there for. You can go back to Micah. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. God's not asking for everything. He's asking for all of you. He's not asking for you to do everything in this world. He's asking for you to love him first. Because my identity has to be wrapped up in who I really am, not just in what I do. Because I can tell you my identity. I mean, I played right tackle, left tackle, left guard, center. I played everywhere on the front five. Then I even started playing D tackle because we had so many people hurt. It started, Coach Bell would yell, heavy. And that meant us fat guys had to trudge back onto the field after the offense had been out there. Why? We had two defensive tackles by the end of my senior season. And that didn't cut the mustard. So they'd send in the big guys. It started just goal line and short yardage. And then it turned into, it's first down. I just got off the field. I'm like, heavy. I'm like, Coach Bell, man, I can't go do that. 
That wasn't my identity though. My identity wasn't even found in the fact that I got married and had eight kids. Well, that's generally what a lot of people look at. They're like, dude, you got eight kids? And I'm like, yes, yes I do. That's, that's where I'm like, I took God literally when he said be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> Just saying, doing, doing my part to push back the darkness that way. I doubt sometimes, but as I look at my family, I have to ask the question, what am I doing in their lives to show them whose family they really belong to? Because if I told my daughter to go clean her room, I don't want her to come back with a philosophical answer that, oh, Father dearest, you told me to clean my room and so I, I went upstairs as you explicitly bid me to do, but I had to ponder what you really meant when you said go clean my room. So I thought about it long, I thought about it hard, and I deconstructed your statement to find out what you really meant. And I decided what you really wanted me to do was to think hard about what a clean room would look like and ponder this so that I could possibly do it sometime in the future. Now first off, I'd look at my daughter and be like, man, you must have read some of my textbooks that are still on the shelves. But the second thing is her father, I would get a little bit irritated because she chose not to do what I'd specifically asked her to do. I wouldn't just be like, oh, that's great, daughter. I'm glad you debated what I said go and what I meant. I love you. It's not the way that would go in my household. And the thing is, God doesn't just ask us to do things. He expects us to live into that. If we're part of his family, it's about loving each other like family. And the best thing is, when he adopts us into his family, he doesn't leave us alone or leave us to do our own thing. He calls us in, he ties us together, and he looks at each of us individually and says, you're my family. So my question to you this morning, do you belong to the family? And if you do, what are you doing to bring the kingdom of God here? Because let me tell you, you belong. You're loved. You are valued more than you will ever know. Because the God of the whole universe thought you were worth the life of his son. Because that's what our adoption cost. Have you pondered that for a minute? Because I hope you understand that. Because there's no better place to be than wrapped up in the family of God. To be about his business, it's not hard. It's about loving people the way he loved us, which that is hard because people aren't always lovable. I'd love to tell you, those of you who are going into religion, philosophy, theology, I'd love to tell you working for the church is all rainbows, unicorns, and happiness, y'all. It's a beautiful experience. Every day I go to work happy. I come home just glowing. But my wife would tell you that's a fat lie because people are people and I deal with things. So what do you deal with? And how do you deal with it? Do you deal with it like a dysfunctional family? Yell, scream, hit, beat, whatever? Or do you try to deal with it together by loving? Because we're all called into that family. It's a question of do you know you're a part of it? And are you living into that? Because that's the question that matters. When Jesus came down to it, there was only one question he asked that we had to answer. That was who do we say he is? Your answer to that determines whether you're part of his family or not. So who do you say he is this morning, y'all? It's a question. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. Thank you for giving your son for us. 
And thank you for calling us into your family and adopting us, calling us your sons and your daughters. We thank you for your love. We thank you for that grace. And I pray this morning that we would feel loved, accepted, and known for who we are. And that as you've loved us, we can love others. Thank you for who you are, for what you've done, and for what you're going to do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.